Welcome to Modern Sales, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business owners, and salespeople looking to have more and better conversations with your perfect clients. You'll get a healthy scoop of psychology, behavioral economics, and sales studies to help you create win-win relationships. I'm your host, Liston Witherell, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Modern Sales. Now, in today's episode, I have an interview with John Buchan of Charm Offensive, and you'll hear that I said his name wrong, and he corrects me in the episode. But John is known for sending a drunk email that changed his life. There's a headline. And the result is that people know him for his irreverent, objectively funny, cold email style. I promise you, you'll laugh out loud at some of the things that he's written. In today's episode, it's part one of two interviews that I did with John, and we'll be discussing the importance of style, grabbing attention, and being ridiculously different to win clients through net new business and your cold outreach. In the next episode, I'll be going over with John how he builds his cold outreach sequences and how you can start to apply those for your business. So if you want to catch the next episode, make sure you do subscribe. Now, if you go to liston.io slash podcast and you have any questions about this episode, go there. You can leave a question for me. It's kind of like a voicemail. You may even hear your voice on an upcoming episode where I answer whatever question you have. Maybe I'll even dedicate the entire podcast episode to you specifically, dear listener. So that URL is liston.io slash podcast. I also recommend you go over to Liston.io where I have five sales email templates every consultant needs. It helps you chain together the most important sales moments and gives you templates that you can steal instantly and put into your business. I'm ripping this line off from John now. I promise that one out of five of those templates will be extremely useful and the other four will be at least moderately useful. So there's a little preview of some of the things that John's going to talk about. Now, if you need immediate help with building a sales process that feels good, is wonderful for your clients, and helps you build the thriving business and industry leadership that you've always wanted, I can help you with that too. All you have to do is head over to liston.io slash strategy to book a strategy call with me right now. Thank you so much for being here. I am truly appreciative that you're hanging out with me And now I'm going to bring you my interview with John Buchan. John, welcome to the Liston.io show. How are you? I'm very good, man. How are you doing? Well, I'm excited that you made the time to be here because I've been following you for a while. Let's just jump right into it. What's with the drunk email? Tell me about that. Awesome. First off, I've got to mention this. I know I don't want to be one of those people, but it's Buchan. John Buchan. Oh, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all good, man. Pretty much everyone gets it wrong, but it's, I just would feel wrong if I didn't bring it up because other people might start calling it. (laughs) So it's all good. The drunk cold email. Basically, I used to work at London agencies, London digital marketing agencies, and basically quit my way to the top. Started as a consultant and then just moved to different agencies, got my experience, built it up, headed up a department. And then I thought I can do this better myself. There was some things that those agencies did that I didn't think were, they weren't like cowboys but it wasn't completely stuff that was going to benefit the client there was a lot of crafty tactics at play and i didn't particularly like as much as i'd learned a lot and i got a lot of experience i knew it was time my enthusiasm had gone and i love this stuff so i started my own agency and then for about a year it was it went really well but then all of my word of mouth leads dried up 
And I realized, oh yeah, it's easy to run and be part of an agency and close deals when you've got a great salesman giving you hot leads to work with. And I realized I didn't know how to open. And that's when I got desperate and then I got drunk, wrote this completely absurd email, and in the morning still thought it was a good idea to send it to very senior marketing professionals at some of the world's biggest brands like Red Bull, Packard, Symantec, etc. And to my amazement, it worked. I got some of the most gushing uh, sort of complimentary responses you could imagine. I never respond to these. I get hundreds, but I had to reply to this. This is the best cold pitch I've ever received. And my personal favorite, my colleague forwarded me our spam email, and we would like to meet you to discuss opportunities. There's just so many, I kind of realized at this point, because I kept sending this email, and every time I did, I would just get more of the same, more compliments, more sales meetings. And then I realized I could use it for getting PR coverage. So we won a gigantic client, started with my drunk cold email. We won Symantec. Then we had to get them PR coverage. I used the exact same type of copy to get journalists to reply to me. I just found like, oh yeah, I can use this for any ask I have. There's a way of writing that will improve the chances of me getting the answer I want. Obviously it uses some persuasive principles, but it does a lot of stuff that you don't see in the sort of direct response or persuasion literature, for lack of a better word. And there's a lot of new stuff. It's being disarming, being self-effacing, being understated. All of these have persuasive benefits, perhaps indirectly, because people like people that make them laugh. They trust people more if they're self-effacing. There are all these benefits that potentiate your an already persuasive message. And that's what I've kind of cracked onto. That's when I finally decided to launch a Facebook group. I wrote this ebook, Win With Words, that went through one of my templates line by line. It was 36 pages long, I think. And I put a draft on a group called Traffic and Copy and said, do you want to check this out? If you would like a copy, let me know. And I got loads of great feedback. And then I started seeing people, responses in my inbox, people telling me, I've booked loads of meetings. I'm getting a look at these responses. And I started to think I've got something here. And then in March, about six months later, five or six months later, I had some personal good news. I got out of a bad situation, which I won't go into detail, but it kind of spurred me on. And I started the Facebook group, Charm Offensive. And that was after a phone call, actually, with a group owner, Cult of Copy, the guy who runs the Cult of Copy, Colin Therrier. I'm going to get his parents' name wrong there. He said, I've got something unique and I should go for it. Launched the group. And yeah, this is my career now. This is what I do for a living is I've got a community of over 8,000 people in the Facebook group. I've got an email list. I'm present on LinkedIn. I've got all these information products and a subscription. I've just been looking today because I've been organizing my Facebook group at all the results people have had, like all the screenshots of them getting responses or winning new clients. And it's been awesome to see. That's what I do for a living. I hope that wasn't too rambly. That's what I'm up to. So you sent a drunk email, (laughs) which was breaking a lot of the rules of how people think they should communicate in business. And it got lots of great responses and it even landed you a giant client, Symantec, which would be a whale or a dream client for a lot of people. How would you describe the style of that email? And can you summarize what was so different about it and maybe so attention grabbing? First off, it's written like an email from one person to another. So even though there wasn't any personalization in my emails, other than the first name, this really frustrates people because it does take a lot of effort to personalize stuff. And I didn't, and I still had success, is because it is written in a way that reads like an email from one person to another. Those short functional emails that you see banded around as the ideal called email templates, which I'm sure you know work, I'm not saying that they don't work at all, 
they're written in a way that you can see like, oh, this isn't a one-to-one email. This is a template. No one writes like that. And I realized that if you can just be so refreshingly honest, if you have an approach where you're just so honest to the point where it's surprising, that's very persuasive. It takes people's guard down. So the, for one of the first lines in my original drunk cold email was, greetings, Jeff. You've never heard of me. Uh, hi, I'm John. I got your details from a list, gasp. But hey, at least you're list worthy. That's got to be worth something, right? So I've mentioned the very thing that most people would completely avoid, that I got their details from a list. Then I've kind of complimented them on that fact. So it's kind of really honest and kind of cheeky at the same time. Another opener that I use is, I wanted to introduce myself in a way that showed I was interesting, witty, and clever. Alas, I wrote this email instead. So that is a, you might elicit a smirk or a smile or I might get a laugh. That's much better than what you would normally expect to open with, which is, do you have, and I can't, I have to do it in this ridiculous infomercial voice because I, that's how ridiculous I find it. No one speaks like this, at least no one I hang around with does. It would start with something like, do you have problems navigating the ever-changing world of social media, question mark? And then it's just like no conversation starts that way. You would never write an email like that to another person. And that's a big reason why this style works is you start with something that gets their attention. It shows that you're being really refreshingly honest and you're perhaps making a lighthearted, somewhat funny remark. And then the rest of the email follows suit. It's a combination of a few different attributes. A, it's disarming and it's funny and it's self-effacing. So you're a likable person. And also it's ambitious. You can show ambition and people will get behind you. People like to find new talent. So if you're going there and you're showing your ambition and that you know you can do a great job for them, but you're also being understated and sort of uh, self-effacing and meek and you're not being this arrogant presence in their inbox, you're being meek and direct at the same time. That combined with a bit of levity and humor, that, that's the intoxicating combination. And that, if you compare it to the really jargony approach that's somehow the etiquette and the way things are done, you can just see the difference. You're speaking to the people behind the fancy job titles. I always say to people, because one of the biggest objections to this method is, it's fine for you in marketing, John, but this won't work on CEOs or IT directors or finance directors or whatever the job title is that they consider devoid of any humor or personality. And I'm like, no one becomes the CEO of Red Bull and they goes, you know what? I don't like to laugh anymore. That's something I did when I was not successful. People like to put other people on pedestals. You shouldn't do that. Speak to them like people. It's amazing that that is a remarkable advice. I only know of riding that way and it definitely has its benefits. Um, I'm not very good with having that professional veneer, as you may have noticed. And yeah, I think that that's why it resonates with people. And that's when they reply to you, they reply trying to kind of beat your humor, or at least they're writing to you like informally. They're not writing to you with corporate mode on. And that is another huge advantage. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about voice and the chances that you take when you write these emails, right? So I think that they're probably fairly polarizing. So the people who respond obviously absolutely love them, but you're also going to get some hate mail or just be ignored by other people who may be burned by the email. So I'm wondering, how do you think about drawing the line between the balance that you've talked about where it's creative and it's humorous and it's self-effacing and it's disarmingly honest, but also not going so far that you're not crossing a line. Like, how do you think about, is there even a line? I'm not being offensive. That's the thing. I'm being, it's like the, the style is basically being refreshingly honest. And yeah, there's some absurdity and, and wit in there, but what is the line? Is the line there 
if you start getting more people not liking what you're saying, or actually you're not getting meetings that you could have got if you'd have just been a bit tamer. Is that the worry, like the line? You've gone so far that you're not going to get as many meetings as you could have had. I think this is a false dichotomy. I think this approach qualifies and disqualifies people. You're going to find people that you're actually going to work with better. You're going to get on with. You start speaking to them from the first conversation in an honest way. It is a good way of finding people that you're going to work well with. And it also, probably more important, you're not going to work with people that reply with things like, you should be more professional. That is not someone I'm going to work well with. There's nothing wrong with their style. I just would prefer to not work with people that have that opinion. It's, I just find it's better for everyone. So while you may not get every single person responding positively, obviously that's not possible. That's not possible with any opportunity. But you are going to get the attention of people that ordinarily would never reply to any of these. And you're also, the people that you do get a reply from, you've made the best first impression possible. And at the same time, you've disqualified people that you're not going to get on with. I think as far as a line, if I was writing stuff like really polarizing stuff, like deliberately like mentioning topics that were controversial, then there would be a line, but I don't think there is. The only thing I could do is maybe if uh, I went overboard on the silliness and I wasn't taken seriously, but I've always been very measured. Like I'm pretty, I know how to get the balance right. And that's just something that comes with experience or obviously looking at my templates and stuff like that. But I don't think you can really take it too far in a sort of offensive way because it's that, that's not really part of the style. So it's really just about practice, looking at examples of copy and looking at the system, you know, the structure and practicing. I don't know if that helps at all. Well, I think it does because I know for sure there are people listening to this right now thinking exactly what you said, like this just wouldn't work for me. I can't talk to my clients like that. I don't believe that I can write this way. Now, I'll tell you, your style is not what I would write, right? So the way I write is always informal. So you and I definitely see eye to eye on that. And the way I write is also extremely honest. So I guess I'm wondering, like, when I read your copy, and I especially see how people are interacting in your Facebook group, like people very much just adopt your voice. And I'm wondering if someone's like, okay, I don't want to do it the John way, but John has some really useful ideas. How do you talk to them about making this theirs? Uh, yeah, because it's all very systematic. Like the thing I'm doing more and more of now is obviously I teach about a wide variety of things, but it's a big part of the daily content I'm creating is joke formulas. To me, it was just reflexive. Like if I write something, I'm not thinking about what jokes I'm going to put in. It just comes out. But I've reverse engineered loads of my old stuff and I'm just constantly writing and then examining what I've done and then looking at also stand-up comedy, sitcoms, looking at the joke formulas there. And then you can use these same things in business copy. Like obviously not all of them because not everything translates, but there are little just tricks of language that you can use. And that will work no matter what your style. You could be really blunt. You could be really dry. You could be like your shock humor. You can be really witty and wordy. You can be silly. It's really how you use those formulas. It's how the, the tone that you use and the directions that you go in, the words you choose. But there are structures you can use and they, they will work no matter what your style. And I actually prefer it when people do try and adopt their own style. They can learn the techniques from me, but then they can make it their own. And only sort of a trained eye would know that perhaps I was the influence. I much prefer that. I, that's such a great thing to be able to help someone with, to get to that position. But obviously not everyone wants to, nor has the time, energy, or inclination. I'm fine with people using them as templates and using it as a weapon. 
but yeah, I do much prefer it when people get into the writing because I'm a writing nerd and I just think it's incredibly powerful. If people, ideally, everyone would have the ability and that no one would ever have to buy templates. That's maybe not the best commercial direction for me, but that's the way I think. I would much prefer more people to learn the principles and the formulas behind the copy and then they can turn it into their own style because a lot of people come up with ideas and jokes and things that I would never have thought of myself. That's probably one of the cool things about doing this kind of stuff. So one thing you mentioned early on is that when you sent this first email, which was sort of your big aha moment, right? And you start, then you created the Facebook group and it really all just gained momentum. But when people read that first email, they thought, wow, this is so refreshing and this is so different. I'm wondering, like, how do you think about if Charm Offensive is incredibly successful and this becomes a standard way of communicating in the business world? Does the novelty wear off? I will be rich when that happens. I will be fine with that. That's a long time away. So, John, John, (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that, but let's put your Rolls Royce aside for a second and focus on the audience here, right? I'm joking about it because it's it's a worry that I used to have. Are you asking, like, if it becomes so ubiquitous that it becomes ineffective? Of course, yes. My answer to that is this is something I used to worry. Like, I didn't start the group for ages because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to use my own technique. And now I realize, and I spoke to Colin about this cult of copy, and he said, that's ridiculous. It's because we're not all emailing the same guy. If we're all emailing, emailing the same guy, it would, or a few people, it would stop to be very effective. But if you think about how many businesses are in each city in America, then each state, then the US, then the whole world, then all the people that work at those businesses, because it's not just the founders that are being emailed, then all of the other reasons people cold email each other, then all the other asks that people, there's no way that I would be that ubiquitous. And if I did, as I say, I would be incredibly wealthy, not just rich. I would be wealthy if I got to that stage. I wish I had the confidence in myself that I could get to that level, but I don't think I'm ever going to be that successful. Well, so one thing I'll tell you is I'm sure you're familiar with Aaron Ross's predictable revenue, which was sort of like the stuffy version of what you're suggesting. And what I see a lot is people who are at a certain level in companies that have a certain revenue, right? So larger companies, more powerful, say decision makers, they've seen that, can you refer me to the person in charge of X email like 150 times? Yeah, yeah. While I agree with what you're saying, there are a lot of people in the world. I also think the key decision makers at larger companies get hit up constantly. And so... I think the core of my question is, is this just novelty because people aren't used to seeing communication in this way? Or do you think that there's something actually unique and breakthrough about this? I don't think actually it's breakthrough new. What's the thing that you see on so many dating profiles? Sense of humor. That has worked with trying to get the attention of the uh, love interest for countless. Since we've needed to do that to uh, continue the species, well, since humor has been around, it's been a weapon that you've used there. It's never gone out of fashion. It, that's the point I'm trying to make. So while an individual template, it could be that a specific template or a specific set of lines, say the, the CEO of Red Bull just keeps getting those, like I've achieved a level of success where that's prominent. That could potentially happen with some real high-end prospects. But I would say the charm offensive thing is more about an approach. It's not just individual lines or templates. It's an approach to dealing with people. Obviously, there is in that initial template, there's a lot of jokes in there that work. And if you've seen them over and over, it might seem like a gimmick now, but it's, it's not just about those individual lines. It's about the underlying principles of being disarming and, and how to deal with people. 
it's not just about that initial email. Every interaction matters. So that's not just copy. I noticed this when I was hanging out with Daryl Warner. He's a cold calling guy. And I learned a lot from him. That was one of the guys I used to go to sales meetings with. He was the business development guy. I was the geeky consultant. And he can, I met up with him recently because I convinced him to start his own group. And he has the same way. We're in a pub, the same disarming way of just dealing with people, every little interaction. And I realized that's benefited me a great deal with running an agency and doing what I'm doing now. And as I've been writing up things like my guide to how I Symantec and how to create a niche, I'm realizing all of just the little tiny things that I do. And it is a charm offensive. It's basically trying to behave in a way and speak in a way and write in a way and deal with other people in a way that maximizes your chance that every little interaction is going to go well. And you're overall building positive goodwill with people, a good reputation, and all of these other things. So yes, an individual email template and a specific line or a photo of a ferry and bunny ears, that might, if I achieve, you know, if I keep growing, it might be that some high-level prospects or in some specific industries, something's got that one person may be inundated with these. I don't think that's happened yet. But the overarching principles I'm speaking about and the stuff about dealing with making sure every interaction matters and dealing with those in the best way possible, I don't think that's going to go out of fashion. I think that's more complex and there's just more to it. That's how I would answer that question. I don't know if I rambled on there. Sorry. No, you got it, man. So I think that's a good place to leave it. So in tomorrow's episode, John, we're going to talk about why every interaction matters so much and how to put structure. You talked about the structure of charm offensive and what does that look like how do we think about maximizing our interactions and then applying that to our outbound and our marketing so thank you so much for being here john and we'll talk to you again tomorrow no problem